This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookings. Welcome to Bookends with Ruth Todd and Moran Rout. And today, finally, I can play my interview with Anne Noble about her magnificent book on bees because she's going to be here in Christchurch on Wednesday at the Central Art Gallery to launch it down here and to discuss the book with um, various people who've collaborated with her. And that book's a, a real treat, I mm. think. Mm. But mine is too, because um, I didn't know about David Young, who's a sort of bridge between a scientist and um, Indigenous people who've both got wonderful ideas but haven't really worked very well together around the Pacific Islands and especially his interest in freshwater. Beautiful photographs throughout the book. It's a gorgeous one too. As a journalist and author, David Young has been a consistent advocate for environmental justice over many decades. Published widely, his articles, chapters and ten books reflect a fascination with fresh water, Maori settler environment, history and increasingly the relationship between nature and culture. He's been the recipient of a number of fellowships and awards and spent time in Hawaii, which enabled White Pacifica to be finished after masses of research, I imagine. So welcome to the program, David. Thank you, Ruth. The focus in your writing um, is really the increasingly endangered um, status of uh, fresh water and uh, what we're not listening to and not um, listening to our Indigenous people in the Pacific and you cover the wide um, uh, part of the Pacific Ocean, all our little islands and all our big ones and it's a very inspiring and deeply moving study. Um, You also um, say that... um, in Wai Pacifica. It's a wake-up call to fellow Pākehā. Wonderful though it is, science will only get us so far when it comes to protecting our precious waterways, and we need to listen to Indigenous voices. Theirs is a clarion call to action. So, where are you at now with what's going on in Glasgow? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's it's great to hear um, those Indigenous voices coming through, and I, I was delighted there was a young... Kahanunu, a woman whose name I still haven't got in my head, who's, who was on television near the beginning of that climate change um, discussion, and uh, she covered covered what she thought were all the important points um, in the need to deal with climate change, including matters such as freshwater and biodiversity and loss of species and all those other things, which, which I, I thought, well, that's great. I think, I think I've actually can tick take most of those things off in um, my attempts to um, put this book together. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, I do think that one of the things that the climate change discussions going on in Glasgow do throw up is um, <laughs> the way in which governments are still unwilling to shift. Everybody's very aware of this. And governments only shift if they feel that they've got their, their populations behind them. And I do think that while I, the book has a great deal of science in it, and I'm 
I'm never going to in any way be critical of science. I do think that we need to actually have um, some other arrows in our quiver to, to move ourselves forward. And I think that it's about a change in consciousness. And some of us <clears throat> are being offered that opportunity um, if we live beside indigenous people. And Aotearoa is probably the only place in the world where a book like this could have could have been written with a degree of optimism and um, hope and suggestion that we are already in the process of moving into a, this consciousness that um, for those of us who are open to it, and it's never easy and you can expect to get, you know, um, treated quite sternly, if not um, quite roughly at times, if you um, take part in this business, it's never all sweetness and light. But there is this extraordinary offer on hand from Māori to uh, these fellow travellers that have arrived in the last 200 years to actually um, pay attention to the earth, slow down a bit, think about your relationship with the earth, show respect for the earth and its limitations, um, and to um, to actually share um, in the care of of um, this amazing set of islands that we live on. When you researched this book, um, it's taken quite a long time to write, hasn't it? And you had so much to do. Did you start off with thinking you'd do the whole Pacific area? No, I didn't. I, I, it was Initially, I thought it would be very much an examination of the relationship uh, and the attitude of water between essentially uh, one group of people out of eastern Polynesia, who some of whom went north to Hawaii and some and within a very similar period went south to Aotearoa, and to explore how the um, availability of water in those two archipelago, um, one where in Hawaii there was lots of it, but mostly tra trapped underground, and those who came to Aotearoa, who, as we know, had never known water in such quantities or availability, perhaps ever before in their in their Pacific travels. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. So that was actually um, um, the, the focus for my exploration to begin with, and um, and then I don't know exactly what kicked it off, but I thought, well, you know, if you put these two islands, if you put these islands in their Pacific context. Um, and perhaps examine some of the other trends that are going on across the Pacific and in terms of climate change and in terms of what knowledge is accessible um, to someone um, who isn't... I wasn't able to go to all of those places, but we could talk about that in a minute. Um, but uh, could actually throw up another fundamental message for the world, not just for people living in the Pacific, and that is that, you know, the indigenous relationship to water, which is a metaphor in some ways for their approach to to, to the natural world, um, is, is profoundly similar and amazingly um, based on care and respect and, and if not aroha. And <clears throat> aroha is not... Um, kind of 
popular idea of Araha. It's, it's, a, it's a principle of um, a doctrine almost that says that you put nature first and you put, most of the time, you put people first as well. And it's such a stark contrast to um, the kind of world that we've seen to create, particularly over the last 40 years, um, with the emphasis on individualism, um, personal gain, and financial gain, and destruction of, of our um, biosphere. So things are urgent. You're an optimist. What's going to happen? Well, as, as an optimist, I... I'm, I'm amazed by the way in which, in in, my, in our country, the, the the notion of picking up te reo has just accelerated before our eyes over the last few years. And there are several reasons for that. We don't probably need to go into them, but I'm not aware that there may be places of any colonised people who have actually managed to actually recolonise the colonisers with, with their own language, even to the extent that they have done thus far. And I think it's just the beginning of a, of a trend. And as we step into that space, it may be through the, the amazing regeneration of and protection um, and enhancement of natural flora and fauna, which is must be one of the biggest volunteer organisations in, uh, in New Zealand now. It, it, the figures are, are not recent, but... Um, there are hundreds of organisations, most of them pretty diligently um, manned and womaned, and uh, there, I think there are tens of thousands of people out there now who are totally involved in protecting the indigenous, with, whether it's replanting or whether it's trapping or whatever. And I think as those people work in those areas and want to know the stories of the past, the... Um, the availability of Māori, which isn't always there, and then may not even be a presence, um, but where you can find stories that can actually anchor you in the landscape that you're protecting and possibly the landscape that you're living nearby to. Um, I think it, it, it's, it's going to enhance our commitment to indigeneity. Um, and I think that this is where I think science is wondrous in what it, where it's taken us over the last... 250 years. But I, I think that there, there is also quite a lot of evidence that um, it, people are, are no longer, um, so they're not paying sufficient attention to it and it's not that there's anything wrong with science. I think that it's the inadequacy of human beings to work in this one-dimensional way that we, where we've created so much reductionism. We've taken our emotions out of our relationships to the earth and have um, as a consequence of that we you know I think we are suffering as much as the the biodiversity that we are wreaking havoc upon. David um, it's so comprehensive this book um, it, we need a much longer interview really but people will really find so much in it and so much that's similar but there's two pillars you've chosen yes in the that's book. right I, yes as I as I kept on researching Pacific it became more and more clear that um, I, I haven't done justice. To, to Melanesian culture within the Pacific, that that 
if one's only got so much time and energy in life. And and that that's something that I'd love to have done more of. But I thought, well, we've got we're right next door to the to the you know the oldest living culture on the planet, and and it's been you know, for so long. We know we know what's happened to Aboriginal people, but we. I thought, well, I, it would be great just to go in and at least ask questions of, of the literature and, and engage with a few Aboriginal leaders where I could um, on the question of their, the way in which they evolved that culture, knowing that water was never plentiful in many, many parts of the places they occupied. And so I, I did actually have written a chapter about that about Australia and Aboriginals and water. And I decided to balance that um, with a, an adventure into modernity and management of water. And one of the normally most um, praised um, cities in terms of water and environmental management, which is the city of Portland, Oregon. So those two chapters spatially mark the beginning and end of the book. There are other discussions around that but Portland Oregon is still still actually in the top 10 I think of sizable cities not a huge city but pretty big uh, where for 50 years now they've actually worked really hard on reducing a lot of the problems that New Zealand cities are still facing and that is separating um, wastewater from runoff water and they've done it in all sorts of inventive ways that I was lucky enough to be able to explore and also to bring some um, First Nation perspectives to to that story as well. Well, it just leaves me wanting to read it again and to read more, and I know it will be a, a book that people will dip into because there's so much to take in at once. And it's, um, it's beautifully written. It's visually rich series of interconnected essays and fresh water from Pacific perspectives. And your daughter and your uh, her husband have done magnificent photography for this book. So congratulations, yeah, Why Pacifica, um, Indigenous Ways in a Changing Climate by David Young, is published by Otago University Press. And Vincent O'Sullivan it tells me that you're one of the clearest and most respected writers on New Zealand ecology, a champion for what its people hold in trust. So I had never read anything about by you before, and now I'm looking for more. So thank you so much. And, uh, oh, thank you. It's been, it's been and look, after your, look after your health. <laughs> thank you very much, Ruth. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM 96.9. Conversatio is a taonga. It's a delight to read, to hold and to own. It comprises essays, photographs, wide-ranging and provocative discussions, not just on bees and their habits, but art, literature, science, climate change and who we are and what we're doing here. It's a book uh, about bees and it's the work of Anne Noble, who's one of our most widely respected contemporary photographers. She's a distinguished professor of fine art photography at Massey University, Wellington, and she's had a number of international awards that have taken her um, overseas for residencies and exhibitions. I don't even know how to begin to... Um, 
describe how wide-ranging this book is, Anne, but it started for you in your back garden, didn't it? It did, really, and I think probably most most projects that I begin uh, start with just curiosity, interest, and uh, and then once engaged, uh, some kind of desire to make something of that. You know, when you're curious about something, you discover things about it, and certainly with bees, and I know any beekeeper would identify with this, you kind of fall in love with them. And out of that becomes, I don't know, a project. It illustrates, the whole book um, illustrates how thoroughly you've engaged in collaboration and conversatio with a huge range of people. So what began as hives in your back garden and your curiosity, as you say, became this extraordinary project that um, went to France, uh, to Queensland, into your backyard, from your backyard, into schools. Tell me about some of the people that you've worked with on this project. So, well, well, I, I think something that's really key for me in making the book was that it was, I really wanted it to mirror uh, the extent of this as a series of collaborative projects. So, you know, across being a beekeeper, learning about bees, about, um, you know, engaging with people in a whole variety of ways. So, you know, I, I worked with... Uh, and a, a lot of those meetings were really almost by chance. And those meetings then kind of just provoked ideas that were often way beyond my own capability to realise. And then... Maybe it was something to do with the complexity of a hive of 70,000 bees inspired uh, kind of collaborative, much more collaborative practices. So I worked with, uh, I suppose, and those, that kind of, that chance element was always really strong in meeting people and working with them. So I started listening to bees, actually, dropping microphones into the hive, and that pro- provoked the idea for a kind of visual and musical collaboration. And ideas sometimes begin as proposals, and when proposals are accepted, you then, uh, it has to become real. (laughs) And I've often proposed things that are way beyond my own capability, and I certainly did with these big projects. So, yeah, so the pleasures of collaboration were really part of the joys of the work that I've made, but also the people that I've worked with. From Hayden Chisholm, a wonderful New Zealand jazz musician, Jean-Pierre Martin, um, kind of physicist, beekeeper and educationalist, a wonderful scientist at the Queensland Art Gallery who I worked with in his bee laboratory to design a a kind of an entranceway for the bees into the the work that was installed at the Asia-Pacific Triennial. Designer Anna Brown, who I've worked with throughout this project, who's really the architect of the form of this book, really beautiful work she's done. So, Zara Stanhope, curator, you know, and a phenomenal enabler of artists. <laughs> I think, you know, there's, there's an endless list I couldn't... Yes, couldn't, that's uh, right. Yes, I've, <laughs> I've set you a, a difficult task there. Absolutely. Just it, it seems just about anybody who, who stops and listens and looks at bees becomes enchanted by them, and it's gone on for, for, for 
for millennia, really, hasn't it? So, what what is it about bees? Do you think you know they are they're as, you know we know that they're under threat, and that makes them even more precious to us, doesn't it? They 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 are extraordinary. They they trigger two responses. One is uh, they there's a tiny insect and they can sting. So there is this both a it's almost like a primordial fear of this tiny most beautiful insect. But there's also the other end of that is the sweetness of honey. So they they trigger kind of multiple responses. And I think as a as a kind of complex organism, the hive is just has inspired awe and wonder and a desire to understand how something so complex is what creates, what is it that uh, kind of is a colony of bees. So, you know, any beekeeper starts on that journey, but, you know, people have done that for millennia, so... Yes, you can't yeah. help but I imagine as a beekeeper or or a scientist or an artist, photographer, you can't help but um, be overwhelmed by what you discover as you as you go further into them. And the way that you've photographed the man, you've used so many different um, and very innovative ways of, of capturing the beauty and the wonder and the and the and <laughs> The sort of extraordinariness of of the bee. Yes, so they. I mean, they. My own bees. It just inspired interest and curiosity. But then to make images, then it. Re- they really inspire. You know, imaginative ways to kind of respond, and that kind of journey of you know just. Uh, you know, imagination, and really then how you can. Kind of, I don't know. Speak or try and find images that will capture both the exterior world, but that inner experience of it. So you know, I often was concerned, or you know, there is such beauty in a colony of bees, but it is, and they are the kind of the visible end of an invisible world that is under threat by human impacts on the environment. So they are this incredible thing of the, an indicator species. So how to kind of kind of bring together both kind of environmental concerns, but also that kind of deep felt human response to uh, an organism or a complex system or yeah, a world that we inhabit. I guess those are the, those became photographic challenges, which were you know just. Again, that's a that's a little journey you embark on, and you know you just I follow my nose really. I get ideas <laughs> and I'm too challenged by them and just pursue them. <laughs> yes, well, your nose takes you in some extraordinary places, like um, uh, the the images of the bees uh, under the electron microscope. Just those are those are some of the most captivating images I think in the book. Because you're right up close to this huge creature, <laughs> but uh, and you can see the complexities of how how it's put together and how sturdy it is. Really, we need to talk about the book itself because this is a book program, and as I said, it's it's the most extraordinary 
piece of art in itself. Tell me a little about your collaboration um, with Anna about that, Anna Brown. Anna and Zara. So, you know, Zara was the curator for the Asia-Pacific Triennial, and it was really after that she said we should do a book. And, uh, you know, it was her prompting. And then, you know, my kind of ongoing kind of collaboration with Anna Brown, we got very excited about what kind of book this might be. And not just a book for uh, an art audience, but a book that really did celebrate kind of the broader engagement with bees and the collaboration that is at the heart of all the projects. So Anna's, you know, Anna, we just, we talked and we looked at books together and, you know, came up with a, a, a structure for the book that's also reflective of some of those ideas. So, so it has, yeah, and that goes down to, you know, that, that was Anna's, uh, you know, extraordinary kind of interest in the complexity of the book as a form and how to, how to innovate and generate and to, for the book to be a vehicle for all the ideas that people want to bring to it. So, yeah, it's yeah. a book that invites everyone. I've, I've had it sitting on my table for a couple of weeks now, and there isn't one person. Um, I'm probably going to get my negatives <laughs> muddled <laughs> up here, but everyone that comes into the house virtually has to reach for it and pick it up because it um, it is so inviting. Yes, so well, that's nice. I think you know I'm getting great, a great deal of pleasure from the fact that people are finding it uh, engaging, and you know, you do a book, and something when the book goes off to press, it's uh, there's nothing you can change, <laughs> and then it goes into the world. You sort of you know see it off into the world, and that's what you most hope for. Well, I think you've achieved exactly what you wanted to, Anne, so thank you. The book is called Conversatio in the Company of Bees. It's by Anne Noble with Zara Stanhope and Anna Brown and published by Massey University Press. And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.